the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It emphasizes the goal of all spiritual gifts, which is not just for you yourself to have something such as wisdom or knowledge, not just for you yourself to enjoy that gift, but it is to be used for building up others, serving others. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Yesterday, my family and I had the privilege of attending a wedding of two very dear friends of ours and dear friends of this church. And something that many of you who were there with us may not have known is behind the scenes that there was no wedding coordinator. And so a lot of people came together and behind the scenes the night before, the weeks leading up to it, and especially Yesterday morning, before all the guests arrived, we all kind of pooled our resources, all hands on deck to make sure everything worked out well. You had the usual suspects who were doing their particular jobs, their giftedness, their training. You, of course, had the florist, the professional florist, who was assembling all of the centerpieces and the arrangements behind the bride and groom. You had the chefs in the kitchen preparing lunch for everyone. You had the wait staff preparing the tables and the linens. But you also had those who were not gifted in particular areas that were just serving, putting silverware on the tables. Even my three children got involved putting place cards and all of the napkins for the various guests, setting up different water bottles and wedding favors on the chairs. You had the bridesmaids and the groomsmen making sure they looked proper and that the groom and the bride looked as best as they could, all because they wanted the wedding to be as perfect as possible. And what you saw was similar to what we do in the church. We all have a spiritual gift. And like that florist and like that chef, we have a particular task to be used for the encouragement, the edification, the building up of the church. At the same time, we all as believers often do different tasks that are not our spiritual gift, cleaning up, encouraging, helping one another. And like all of us who were believers yesterday, we all did so ultimately to serve our Lord Jesus Christ and through that, to serve the bride and groom and their families. In the same way in the church, we use our giftedness and we also serve wherever we can, which may not be where we're gifted to fill in the cracks. 
in areas of service where there is no actual spiritual gift for that task, all ultimately to serve our Lord Jesus Christ and through that, serving the body. This is what we have been looking at in our series in 1 Corinthians 12-14, through looking at spiritual gifts. And this morning, we come to part three of spiritual gifts. If there was a subheading for this particular sermon, it would be body life. Body life. And understand that Paul is talking about spiritual gifts specifically, as we have seen a lot already in 1 Corinthians, to address a sin issue, a problem within the ancient Corinthian church. And that problem is their misuse of spiritual gifts. They had the spiritual gifts to be sure, but they were using them for their own glory. They were even using them to put other Christians down. They were getting cocky. They were labeling certain gifts as making them better than people who had different gifts or other gifts. And so Paul is addressing that. And in doing so, he gives us these great chapters on service and spiritual gifts. And as we'll see in a few weeks, even the greatest chapter in all of Scripture on biblical love. But this morning we find ourselves in verses 8 through 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. Let me read that for you. He says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. This morning, just two points, two operational components of spiritual gifts. Two operational components of spiritual gifts. In other words, we are given two insights into how spiritual gifts operate within God's plan for the church. His infinitely wise plan for the church. Two operational components of spiritual gifts. The first is the diversity of spiritual gifts. The diversity of spiritual gifts. We find this in verses 8 through 10. And in these three verses, Paul lists for us nine different spiritual gifts. This is not an exhaustive list. In other words, these are not all the spiritual gifts. And we even know that there are other places in the New Testament where there are listed spiritual gifts that are not found in this list that we are looking at this morning, namely the lists found in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. But that's okay. Because Paul's intention here in this passage is not to give us a complete rundown of all the possible spiritual gifts. In fact, his intention here is not even to give us an explanation of these particular gifts. His overarching point is to highlight the variety with which he blesses the church. Variety. That's the key word. Variety. And we've seen this already, especially a couple weeks ago. We know that these particular gifts were in the Corinthian church or at least experienced by the Corinthian church by Paul and other teachers and apostles who had visited them. We're talking again about the Corinthian church that he is writing to 
So 2,000 years ago, the early church, the beginnings of the church, Jesus Christ had just recently come and been resurrected. And so he uses those prominent spiritual gifts that they would be familiar with to emphasize the variety with an aim to end the disunity that I mentioned earlier that was being caused by their wrong view of the gifts. We saw in verses 4 through 6 that there are varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, and varieties of effects. In today's passage, Paul is going to illustrate that. Again, taking that concept of variety and saying, here's what I mean. Even though it's not his purpose to explain each spiritual gift, he does mention these nine with the implication that the Corinthians, to some degree, understood or recognized, at least by name, these particular spiritual gifts. And so I want to take some time describing each gift for you. Again, not his point. His point is to highlight the variety. But because the Corinthians would have been familiar with these gifts, and maybe we are not familiar with these gifts, and because I am an expository preacher, I am going to explain each of these nine gifts to you. A key underlying theme for us practically, as we have seen throughout this series and will continue to see, is simply we must serve. We have the privilege to serve. And to serve most effectively, we need to recognize and utilize our particular spiritual gift. And as I go through this list, I need you to understand that some of these gifts no longer exist. In other words, they have passed away. They did exist. They are not imaginary. But God used certain spiritual gifts for a certain purpose, and in His plan, they are no longer necessary. They were used by Him for a time when the church was being established in order to validate the message of the gospel and its messengers, the apostles and the early Christians. You need to understand, to put that in context, and we'll talk a lot more about this, especially when we get to chapters 13 and 14, that Christianity was considered a cult back then. Now, when you hear about a cult today, it's perhaps just not really a thing. You know, they come and go had some tragic ones even in our lifetimes where people were committed suicide and things like that following a false prophet, a false messiah. But understand that back then in that culture, as is the case with some countries today, but not so much our country, or at least not the West Coast, religion was a crucial part of the culture. Everyone was religious. And there were main key religions like Judaism, and the Greek and Roman polytheism that you probably studied in junior high, high school. And so here's this new religion, and to top that off, the person that they are worshiping, many of them know about, and some even saw him die, and so it was a very strange religion to them. It was breaking through the mold of established religions. In fact, even trying to take an established religion that was thousands of years old Judaism and saying this is actually a continuation of this as prophesied in Judaism. And so people were confused. They said Christians were following someone who was dead. They called them cannibals because the, the secular world misunderstood the Lord's table. Eating the body, drinking the blood of Christ said these people are cannibals. They called each other 
brother and sister in Christ, and yet they would marry each other. And so, see, they practice incest. It's very strange. They're marrying their brothers and sisters. And so people are very confused. And so why would we listen to you? As you're preaching, all of a sudden, for example, you say, well, bring me your dead child who is now no longer dead. Now do you believe me? And so it affirmed what they were saying. It affirmed the power of God. It affirmed the reality of the gospel. So with the establishment of the church, these are no longer necessary. And again, this is all within God's plan. All that to say that there are some gifts that we will discuss this morning and in the coming weeks that nobody has in the church today, despite what they may claim, despite what their pastors may claim. Nevertheless, it's a wonderful testament to the way God works and has worked through spiritual gifts and the variety He has chosen to create and grow the church. These are good things. These are wonderful things. People abuse them today. People are confused about them today. It's kind of put a bad taste in our mouths as evangelical Christians. But understand, things like the gift of miracles and healings and tongues were a wonderful thing and part of God's plan. Don't let the misuse of them today tarnish your understanding of how God used them before. Now keep in mind this comes on the heels of Paul saying that the Holy Spirit gave spiritual gifts for the common good. It begins this passage with the word for in the beginning of verse 8 and shows that he's again about to illustrate just how this was done, the variety. So starting right off in the beginning of verse 8, he says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. The word, word, in these first two gifts indicates verbal communication, utterance. It denotes a speaking gift. Word of wisdom means someone who had the spiritual gift of being able to articulate God's wisdom by the power and impulse of the Holy Spirit. This starts with the understanding that true wisdom recognizes that God exists and recognizes the gospel and the centrality of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And everything else in life is to respond to that grace. This is clearly distinct from worldly or secular wisdom. Now keep in mind this was a spiritual gift. So this was something that was supernatural, superhuman. It wasn't just someone who was really smart and really wise. It was someone who was given a supernatural wisdom directly from God. And in Paul's day, some of the practice or use of this spiritual gift became revelation. It became Scripture. And you can see why this gift was so important back when there was no New Testament to turn to. They had no New Testament. It was being written at that time. They had the Old Testament but they understood that things had changed. There was a new covenant. And so when someone needed to know the mind of God or needed insight into a situation, whereas today we can turn to the New Testament, the Scriptures, printed, digital, memorized in hundreds of different languages, they didn't have that. And so someone with the spiritual gift of the word of wisdom could come and help. The second is like it, word of knowledge at the end of verse 8. Also a speaking gift. This focuses more on communicating insight into the Word of God. Explaining and correlating gospel facts. 
it's associated with what we would call today doctrine or theology. As this was a spiritual gift, this was not a knowledge one acquired through study, but from the Holy Spirit directly as the need arose. In the first century, this also could have turned into revelation, Scripture. For these first two gifts, again, just having wisdom or knowledge was not the gift. It was also the ability to impart it to others, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. The ESV says utterance. The NIV says message. And I bring this up because it emphasizes the goal of all spiritual gifts, which is not just for you yourself to have something, such as wisdom or knowledge, not just for you yourself to enjoy that gift, but it is to be used for building up others, serving others, as we saw a couple weeks ago, the common good. The next spiritual gift he mentions going on into verse 9 is faith. Faith. We know that saving faith is a gift from God, so all believers have been given this gift of saving faith, Ephesians 2.8 tells us this. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Because remember, he's talking about the diversity of gifts, which means all Christians have different gifts. And they are given to those at the point of salvation or to those who are already believers. So we know he's not talking about saving faith here because all Christians have it and they weren't Christians before they received it. What the spiritual gift of faith is, is that special endowment of trust in God that surpasses the average believer. It's the kind of faith that in the midst of danger and even death or persecution of the highest order is so trusting of God that others are encouraged in their own faith just by being witness and unbelievers testify to the reality of God. It is the faith that allowed people we heard of and have read about that sang hymns of praise to their God as the nails were being driven into their wrists as they chose to be crucified to die like their Savior. It is the kind of faith that allows people to preach the gospel as their enemies are lighting the wood at their feet and doing their best to utter the gospel as their skin melts off of their body. It is super natural faith. This kind of faith in Paul's day was also a wonder-working faith, a faith still expressed through prayer and appealing to God that was often connected to healings and miracles. It makes sense then that the next spiritual gift is healing. You'll notice that gifts here is plural. It simply refers to the various kinds of sicknesses that could be healed. Again, this is a spirit-enabled superhuman ability. So this was not just a really good doctor or a really good scientist. 
It was the kind of healing that you saw Jesus do. It wasn't, let me wrap this up, give you a crutch, take these antibiotics for a couple weeks, make sure you take them all, and you'll get a little bit better. That, that's never going to go away. You might have a limp for the rest of your life. We might be able to get rid of it if you want surgery. No. The gift of healing was always instant and complete. And even in Jesus' life, when it took more than one stage, it was because Jesus was trying to serve a purpose or teach a lesson, such as the blind man who saw blurry people walking like trees, and then again he saw clearly. It wasn't because Jesus couldn't do it. He was teaching a lesson, and in that context it becomes clear what that is. Again, superhuman ability. This is a gift that is no longer given today. To be sure, God can still heal and heal miraculously. That's not what we're talking about. It's no longer a gift where an individual Christian can choose whom and when to heal at that individual's will. Yes, in God's sovereignty. Yes, only by the power of God. But that's the distinction between God doing something miraculous because you're praying or someone's in the hospital, don't know what happened, church was praying, cancer's gone. That's not a spiritual gift. A man didn't go up to him or a woman didn't go up to him and said, in Jesus' name, I heal you, and then the cancer was gone. God did that on his own not through an individual that he had given that spiritual gift. So you see the difference. Even while the apostles were still alive, we have testimony of the fact in the epistles that the gift of healing was diminishing. Even in their own lifetimes, it was fading away. You have several of the apostles' close friends who had physical ailments that the apostles did not or could not heal. Timothy's stomach... Trophimus's and Epaphroditus' illnesses. Why not heal them? Why, Paul, take a little wine for your stomach? Why not just say, hey, get the local elder to heal you? Because even in their own lifetimes, God was fading out these miraculous gifts. None of those people were dealt with apostolic power. And those are just the ones we have recorded in Scripture. The ability to heal was given to the person who received the gift. It was given to the person who was to heal, not to the sick or the handicapped individual. Why do I say this? Because today's misguided at best, demonic at worst, faith healers who don't fully heal, they blame the sick person's lack of faith. That's not what the spiritual gift is about. They were given a gift, and they could do it. You don't blame the person because you're too sick. You don't trust me. That's not how it works. And if you look at the reason for these gifts in the first place, how would that work? To have a miracle, a miraculous ability given by God to prove that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior and to say, well, you know, it's like, you know, slapping that electronic to see, you know, maybe the contacts on the battery need to be jiggled. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, that's not powerful at all. That doesn't make the unbeliever fall to his knees, say, hallelujah, baptize me right now. 
makes them walk away and say, eh, not much better than that statue of Zeus over there. It's a sham what these people are doing, and it's sad. Well, into verse 10. Then we have the affecting or working in the ESV of miracles. And so like healing, this was the performing of supernatural activities. This would include all kinds of acts outside of the laws of nature, except for healing. Why not healing? Because that's its own spiritual gift. So these would be all types of other miracles. Well, what kinds of things then? Well, in the record of Jesus' and the apostles' lives, we have several of these. Turning water into wine, raising the dead, calming the raging storm, turning a lunchbox full of food into enough to feed thousands, miracles such as those. Clearly among the gifts that are no longer in the church, but also a powerful example of how they were to be used. And what better way to show that the God you proclaim is the one true God than in the midst of your gospel preaching and testimony, you raise someone's dead child to life. Or, like Jesus, and why the apostle said, hey, they got to go home. There's no food here. There's no agora close by. Send them home, Jesus. They're, They're hungry. Jesus says, no. They need to hear more. You feed them. And the miracle, you're familiar with it. Again, all of it for the growth of the church, but currently being abused by the Corinthians. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live-streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.